0: reader. I'm Cindy Burnett. Welcome to my award-winning podcast, Thoughts from a Page, which is a member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. On the show, I chat with authors whose books I have enjoyed about their new releases, and I give you a peek behind the curtain of the publishing industry with my behind-the-scenes series. With so many books coming out weekly, it can be hard to decide what to read, so I find the best ones and share them with you. If you're looking for a community of readers, bonus content, and a chance to read books before they hit the shelves, I hope you'll consider joining my Patreon group, which is filled with a wonderful bunch of book lovers. The link to join is in the show notes. Do you love to be in the know about upcoming books? Kelly Hooker of at Kelly Hook reads books and I do too. We couldn't find a comprehensive list of titles all in one place, so we made one ourselves and now we're sharing it with you. Our literary lookbook is a list of 182 books releasing from January to May, 2024, curated for our communities. The link to buy it is in my show notes. Today, Elizabeth Crook joins me to chat about The Madstone*. From page one, I was completely immersed in this book, and the story's narrator, Benjamin Shreve, is now one of my favorite fictional characters. His voice is so unique and compelling. Elizabeth has written six novels, as well as for periodicals such as Texas Monthly and the Southwestern Historical Quarterly. She has served on the council of the Texas Institute of Letters and the board of the Texas Book Festival. She's a member of Women Writing the West and Western Writers of America. This year, Elizabeth received the prestigious Texas Writer Award from the Texas Book Festival. I hope you enjoy our conversation. And now for a quick break. For the last year, I have been focusing more on my health and my eating habits. In connection with that, I have started drinking AG1 in the morning. I first gave AG1 a try because I needed more energy. Since drinking AG1 daily, I have definitely felt more energized. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. I know with AG1, I'm giving my body high quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know it is safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency and nutrient density. AG1 is the supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and I am really happy to have them sponsoring my show. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com drink, slash thoughts from a page. That's drinkag1.com slash thoughts from a page. Check it out. And now, before we get started with the interview, I want to let you know about something new that I am trying this year. This week and next week, I am asking for anyone who is interested to record a blurb about your top read of 2023, or one of your top reads if you have more than one. Want to participate? Make a voice memo recording on your phone. Find a quiet place in your home, like a closet, with no kids or animals around, so that your recording is solid and clear and doesn't have a lot of echo. Please give me your name, where you are from, and the book. Don't forget the title and the author that is your top or one of your top reads of 2023. Quickly give a summary of the book and then tell me why you chose it as one of your top reads of the year. Please make sure the recording is under three minutes long. I find it helpful myself to make notes and practice a little bit ahead of recording. When you are finished, email the recording to me at cindyhburnettatt.net. At and that's C I N D Y, the letter H, Burnett, B U R N E T T at att.net with favorite read of 2023 as the subject line. The episode will run in early December, so stay tuned. Welcome, Elizabeth. How are you today?
1: I am fine. Thank you, Cindy. How are you?
0: I'm thrilled to pieces to be chatting with you because The Madstone will be one of my top reads of the year. I just loved it.
1: Thank you. It is so nice to hear that from early readers who have read it, you know, before it's out and before you have a real sense of how it's going to do. So that's encouraging. Thank you very much.
0: Absolutely. I loved it so much that I couldn't even start another book for a day or two because I knew I wasn't going to like whatever book it was. As much as this one, I was still thinking about all of the characters, spending time in Texas with them, and I just couldn't move on.
1: Ah, Well, you should see the smile on my face right now. So (laughs) I appreciate that.
0: And Kirkus gave the book a beautiful starred review. You had to be thrilled with that as well.
1: I was very thrilled with that. And the thing that I loved the most about that was a little reference, a sentence made right in the middle of the review, kind of buried, and it probably wouldn't mean so much to anybody else. But it said that, you know, the guiding spirit here is Dickens, and how a reviewer would be able to discern the number of hours I spent as a teenager and in my 20s reading Dickens novels. I don't know, you know, or why that would bleed into a a book about, you know, Texas in the reconstruction era, which is very, very far from the Dickens novels. But the fact that they sort of picked up on something that made them feel that it was just kind of astonishing to me. So my hat is off to that reviewer, whoever they are. You never know who they, you know, who reviewed your books, but I appreciate that reviewer.
0: Okay. That is actually pretty astonishing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. Can you give me a
0: quick synopsis of The Mad Stone? Well, it's,
1: I mean, it's an adventure. It's a love story. It takes place during Reconstruction era, uh, in you know, in Texas. Begins in the hill country and goes all the way to the coast, and sort of in a, a straight, linear line. It's all action. You're just moving from one town to another, but many, many things happen along the way. So essentially, uh, Benjamin Shreve, who is a 19 year old uh, who's working, you know, it, it, as a tradesman, as a carpenter uh, in Comfort, Texas, uh, witnesses this stagecoach roll in. Uh, across the street is the stagecoach stop from across the street from where he's working, rolls in, and it leaves behind a passenger who has gone into the privy. And this passenger is desperate to get to the next town and catch up with the stagecoach because he has left on the coach uh, a very special bag. We don't know what's in the bag at the time, but we, we come to learn that this passenger, Dickie, is a treasure hunter, and there's something in this bag that he has to catch up with. So Benjamin, you know, he hires Benjamin to take him in his wagon and get him to the next town. Well, before they get there, they come on the stage, but the stage has been held up. And so stranded there with the the stage and the stagecoach driver is a young woman, Nell, who has uh, her son with her, her young son, and she is pregnant. And so Benjamin now has these other passengers to get to the next town. At every town they get to, there's a reason why they have to keep fleeing because Nell is uh, is running away, it turns out, from a very abusive situation. Her husband's family is involved with a gang in East Texas called the Swamp Fox Gang. This was a, a real gang in Texas history. They basically preyed on freedmen and freed women and on people who were, you know, who, part of the government, the Freedmen's Bureau, who had come down to um, make sure that the laws were being abided by. So, uh, she has to get out of Texas because she has informed on where the Swamp Fox gang has been hiding in the swamps. That's what they did. They came out and they committed murders and, and all kinds of atrocities. So uh, th- this becomes the journey for, for, for Benjamin and for Nell and, and her young son, Tot, as they try to reach. And, and for Dickie, you know, the, the treasure hunter, and one other passenger they end up with along the way, who is a, a black Seminole who plays an integral part in the story. And they have to get all the way to Indianola, where Nell is, hopes to get on a ship and escape to New Orleans.
0: How did you come up with the idea for this story?
1: I get ideas as I go. It's like what's going to happen next. I, I mean, I, I wanted to work with this character Benjamin again. I had, I had. He's a character in my story, The Witchway Tree, and I loved this this young man. He's seventeen years old in The Witchway Tree, and he's nineteen years old here. So, you know, I I just wanted to age him up a little bit, give him a chance to have a first love and to see the world through his eyes for, you know, a longer period of time. I mean, he is he's a very endearing uh, character. And I I missed him, you know, when I finished writing that book. So I that's why I came up with the story It needed to take place during Reconstruction. I, you know, started doing a lot of reading about the Reconstruction era and in Texas and, you know, came across the existence of these these gangs, the Swamp Fox gang was not the only one, there were several, and wondered, you know, what what would I do? What would it be like if I was in the situation that Nell is in? And you know that these terrible crimes are being committed or you sense it. You sort of, you know, you don't even really know when you crossed over from from thinking they might be to knowing that they are. And at what point do you have the courage knowing that there's going to be retribution, you know, against you? To go to the law and 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 report your husband and, and his family for what they're doing. So um, I just I just got interested in that idea because no, I think none of us ever know, you know, how how we would behave in certain instances. We can hope and think we would do the right thing, and then we would do it soon. But you you don't know because because fear plays a big part in these things. And but eventually, her in you know, her own sense of of guilt catches up with her, and and that's what she has done. And now they are after her and and want to take her son, which is, of course, the most threatening thing to a mother. So that is that, you know, that becomes her story.
0: Well, you mentioned Benjamin and how much you loved him. And he is now one of my favorite fictional characters of all time. I just adored him. He's so funny, but he's also very clever and thoughtful. I mean, just a beautiful character.
1: He is, and you know, the reason that he's funny is because he doesn't know he's funny, and he doesn't even have a huge sense of humor. It's just that he's so deadpan in his delivery of his, you know, of, of what he's seeing and hearing and what's happening around him, and how to, in a moral way and in a, in a you know, conscientious way, uh, respond to these events and how to do the right thing. And it's always about how to get further down the road with no money and with you know huge accidents with the, you know, with the. Weather and the and the wagon and you know different things that happen and he's constantly having to to make things work and so when he relates all of these events some of them extremely violent when the brothers catch up with him but he relates them in such a way I, I think that it's kind of okay I mean you know you you feel like you're in the hands of a storyteller who's going to hand it to you straight who's not just trying to pull it pull it your <laughs> pull all the strings and and make you sad or, 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 or depress you or horrify you. They are, they're telling you what happened and how it happened. And, and, um, so I, I think it's his method of doing that. And it comes across as very funny. I mean, I remember when my mother started reading, you know, the witch way tree and, um, it was an early draft and I gave it to her and I hadn't shown it to many people and, and some very violent things were happening. And she, she looked at me and she said, Am I supposed to be laughing? She said, <laughs> I'm laughing and I feel bad about laughing, but I'm laughing. And I said, yes, because Benjamin doesn't, he doesn't know he's funny. He's not trying to be humorous. He doesn't chuckle at himself. And um, in fact, when, you know, when the, um, the person who did the audio, who is lovely, by the way, uh, Will Collier is his name and he's an actor. And they, you know, let me listen to some auditions. And then he, uh, once I heard his, I, I know that this, this guy can pull this off he asked me about the voice or I said, can I, can I talk to him before he does this? And, and they, you know, so it was a little unusual, but yes. And he agreed to that. And so, you know, he said, well, how do you hear the voice? And I said, I hear it, you know, in a fairly deadpan way. And I know that you probably have to, you know, put a little more acting into it, but you know, it's, it's just important to know that Benjamin's very earnest. He's very sincere. He's very dutiful. Uh, and he's not trying to entertain. He's trying in an honest way to relate the story. And so that, you know, and and that's the way he reads it. And he, you know, he just does, he he really
0: captures it perfectly. Now you're making me think I'm going to have to go back and listen to it as well.
1: He's good. I mean, I know people who have listened to it twice. You know, now I don't know about this one. I haven't listened to this one. And I actually haven't listened to The Witch Way Tree. I've just listened to, you know, the first little segment, like, you know, whatever's on um, audio when you can listen to a little, you know, sample. But I, uh, but everybody has told me that he's perfect. You know, and so I, I've been really pleased. And, and then I requested him to do this one because it needed to be the same voice. It's the same character.
0: An audiobook can make or break a story, so I think that's wonderful that he is skilled at it. And yes, I think that's what I like so much about Benjamin. He is so earnest, and he's so funny, but he doesn't always mean to be funny. And you're just laughing sometimes, as your mom said, when terrible things are happening. But the way he relays it does make you chuckle.
1: Yes. That is, that is. I mean, I was chuckling when I was writing really, really, really violent scenes. I just thought they were very funny. And I have to say, those scenes that I was laughing at that were funny, the, the violence was happening to some really bad people. So that also, that also makes it okay.
0: It helps, for sure. It helps. No, I agree with that. I'd love to hear how you decided to have Benjamin relay the story to Todd, because it's told from the point of view of Benjamin, but he's going back and revisiting the entire trip from beginning to end, with no spoilers. But I was curious how you decided on that format.
1: Okay, so I wanted the story to be in Benjamin's voice. And so he needed to be, you know, the, there needed to be a reason for him to be telling the story because he wouldn't have just, at 19, sat down to write this, you know, the, the, his recollection of this, of this journey without, you know, a reason. And so the little boy, he, he becomes very bonded with the little boy taught on the trip. And he is he is writing to Tot to be read when Todd becomes nineteen because there are many things he's learned on this trip that he thinks Todd is gonna want to know um, when he's grown. And that he, you know, I mean sometimes when we have too many questions about our lives and, and how things unfolded the way they did, it's worrisome because you can't let them go, you can't find an answer. And he wants to say, you know, here here's what happened. And here's why it happened. The things I know that you were too young to know. And, um, and you can read this when you're, you know, 19 years old. And, you know, it, it, that's, that seems like a mature enough time to be able to read this because there, you know, were adult things involved and in, in various other pieces of information that might be disturbing to a child, but that he could handle at 19.
0: Which I loved. I really like reading stories that are formatted that way. So I was just curious how you would decide to do it. And Benjamin has the best voice. So, I mean, him telling the story works quite well. Thank you. Who was the hardest character to write and who was the easiest to write? Oh,
1: wow. Well, Benjamin is for me the easiest. I just know him so well. And after writing The Witch Way Tree, you know, his language. I mean, I don't know why, you know, his, the way he sees the world is just so clear to me. I know what he's going to do in every situation immediately taught as a little boy is was fairly you know fairly easy. I've been around a lot of little boys. I raised a little boy. He's now twenty-eight years old, so you know, uh, it was a long time ago. But you remember these things and I have lots of great great nieces and nephews for examples of how children react to things. I think Jorge was the hardest. He is the the black seminal character, simply the hardest because his story is the farthest from anything that I've ever experienced. And um, so it was a matter of learning a lot of history, for one thing, and just trying to get enough of the history in there without, you know, you'd never want to seem like you're giving the reader a history lesson, but to get enough of it across and to make him as authentic as possible, you know, given the fact that his life is very, very different from anything I would I would personally know about. The Black Seminoles, it's a, it's a really fascinating history. They they descended mostly from um, enslaved people who came, who, is, who left, you know, ran away, basically from Mississippi or, or any Georgia, mostly, you know, and, and, and fled down to Florida, and were taken in by these the Seminoles, and they actually became enslaved by the Seminoles, but in a very, you know, much freer format. Uh, they could have families. They, you know, they they basically, you know, lived in in um, uh, in tandem, you know, in a way, and. And it wasn't like the hard labor or anything else that had been forced out of them, you know, in their previous situations. So they, after a while, you know, they became part of the Seminoles. And um, the Seminoles were being driven out of Florida to go out west and be put on a reservation. And they finally, after, you know, a lot of conflict, they finally did agree to this because they were promised all kinds of great things once they got out there. Well, of course, none of that was true. They got out there and it was a terrible situation on the reservations. And so this group of Seminoles and black Seminoles decided, we're just leaving. And they packed up, it was several hundred of them, and they hiked 900 miles from the reservation down to Mexico. And they there settled in a town called Nacimiento. And they, um, many of them were hired by the Mexican government to protect the border from outlaw People from the United States who were coming down there at this point, you know, there were—I mean, there were lots of people fleeing uh, retribution who had committed war crimes during the Civil War, and they didn't, you know, want to be prosecuted, so they they went down to Mexico and come, started committing, you know, depredations down there and crimes down there. So this was a border patrol against the Comanches and against the uh, outlaws, you know, U.S. U.S. citizen outlaws, and um, and so he has joined up with that force. Now that's over. Um, the civil war is over and he can go as a free man back, you know, to the place of his origin, Florida, or where, you know, where he eventually wants to go is to find his sister who was separated from him, uh, during some of, uh, some of the atrocities that were inflicted on them, uh, by, you know, Andrew Jackson and his, and his, and his cronies. So anyway, so Jorge meets up with them and he, you know, he becomes an integral part of the journey.
0: He does. And I loved his character as well. I really liked all of them, all of the people that were good and obviously not uh, Nell's husband or brothers, but (laughs) I loved the people on the journey and you really felt like you got to know them and they were very different from each other, but they worked well as a united troop that was traveling.
1: Yes. Yes. They become kind of, you know, like a family in a way, which is the same thing that happens in The Witch Way Tree and an odd adventure and Uh, disparate people put together and form, you know, these, these unusual bonds.
0: Exactly. And I think I'm always drawn to those type of stories, which is probably why this one appealed as well. And now for a quick break to take a moment and thank today's sponsor, Air Doctor. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take approximately 20,000 breaths a day. According to the EPA, indoor air is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, even up to 100 times more polluted. I struggle with allergies myself that poor air quality exacerbates, and so using my air purifier from Air Doctor really helps me manage my allergies. So what's the solution to poor air quality? Air Doctor has introduced an air purifier that has captured the attention of established media outlets such as CNN, money, and more. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants and allergens such as pollen, pet dander, dust mite, mold, and even bacteria and viruses, so your lungs don't have to. All Air Doctor purifiers also feature Whisperjet fans, 30% quieter than ordinary air purifiers. Want to breathe better? Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code thoughts from a Page. and depending on the model, you'll receive up to 39% off or up to $300 off. Exclusive to podcast customers, you will also receive a free 3 year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-P-R-O dot and use promo code thoughts from a page. Air Doctor also comes with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And now back to the rest of the show. So the Madstone is such a fabulous and fascinating glimpse into reconstruction era, Texas. What drew you to this time period? And then did you have to do a lot of research related to it?
1: Yes, a whole lot of research. If you could see the room I'm sitting in, I mean, it's just the books are stacked on the floor. They all have notes, you know, written in the back because I read whole books on, you know, like the law enforcement at that time or, or you know, these gangs during that time. And then I had to have books on each of the towns they passed through. I had to know a lot about San Antonio in 1868. And so you're really, you know, really, really having to know. And then you have to, of course, figure out what to leave out um, because you don't want to sound like you're just, you know, trying to relate a lot of history. So it's, it's tricky because you learn it, it's exciting, it's interesting, but you can't put it all in there. And so the, the nice thing about writing in Benjamin's voice is Benjamin wouldn't be giving a history lesson. Benjamin wouldn't be explaining things. He would just say what they, what they saw, what they heard and what's happening. So it helps me really, really cut it all down just to, you know, just to what matters to the story, what drives the plot forward or, or informs you know, uh, the reader about the, the, um, the characters in a deeper way without anything extraneous. But I have to know all that stuff so that I don't misportray anything. I have to know, you know, how, how far they can travel and what the problems would be with the wagon and what they would do in certain situations when, you know, the wheel, you know, has a problem or whatever it is. You have to know all of that in order just to have a few lines about it. And so it's, it was, and I love the research, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's almost the most fun part because you're looking for the little details that you can just put a detail in there and suddenly the whole scene is visible. And it, so it's like this little treasure hunt when every, with every book, you know, you find these, these jewels. So yeah, I read whole books on, you know, the history of Indianola and the history of all these towns. And then of course, you know, you have to know weaponry. And I don't know much about weaponry, but I have books on weaponry and I can, you know, look things up. And then, you know, sometimes it's just like, oh, OK, they've got to hitch up this mule. And so then you go to YouTube and you say, you know, you you, you, you try to find somebody instructing on how you would hitch a mule to an old fashioned wagon. And so it's, you know, it, it's 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 just all fun. It's all fun. But I don't remember the, the, the rest of the question. I I got off on the part of it that had to do with history. I got very excited. And then I, I don't remember what. The, what the.
0: Well, I think I just asked what drew you to the time period. But I think you answered that with, with everything you're talking about. And I'll tell you, the other thing that I love was I first learned about you and your book when I was at a conference at the Mingar in San Antonio, which is an old hotel. And I'm reading the book eventually, and they stop at the minger. And I just loved that. I was like, oh, that's where I first learned about the book. That's where she was talking about it. And here they are.
1: I know. I was so excited when I found out that conference was going to be at the minger because I had just, you know, I'd finished writing the book and I had done so much research on the history of the minger. I mean, that was another one where you read a whole book on, you know, the history of that hotel to to make sure you're getting things right. So when it was there, I was like, "Oh, this is just so great to have the first event that I did for this book." That was the first. That was the first thing I did for this book was that that conference. But to have it there at the Mingar, I just made me feel very much at home.
0: Well, and I loved it because I could completely visualize it because I had literally just been there. Of course, you know, your story is taking place many years before, but still, the hotel is, I'm sure, in part the way it was then. So it was just very cool. I was like, they walked through the same doors that I did. Yeah. Uh huh. Well, tell me about the title. I had to look up what a madstone was as I was reading.
1: Right. Okay. Good point. So a madstone is, they are basically, you know, like if you think of a bladder stone or a kidney stone or a gall, you know, gallstone, something like that. So they form in the bellies of deer and and other, you know, ruminant animals. If in the old days you killed a deer, especially if it was an albino deer and it had a madstone in its stomach, that was a incredibly valuable thing to find. Because they were they were believed to draw the toxins out of a rabbit animal's bite, and you know some people believed that they also would draw toxins out of snake bites and everything. But they were most known. That's why they were called a madstone. Because you know when somebody was rabid, they I mean you know a, a, a rabbit animal was called mad. So they would be applied to the bite um, if if one could be found. They were rare, and and they were they were brought over from Europe a lot of times. You know, like passed down in families and. And kept locked up in in, uh, in in secure places like a church uh, because nobody wanted them to be stolen or lost because you know that it was they, it was potentially life saving and it wasn't of course but it was it offered hope hope is really my, all there is when if you're bitten by a rabid animal uh, there were enough times when either the animal turned out what you know maybe wasn't rabid or the bite wasn't deep enough or for whatever reason somebody didn't die there were enough times that happened. That madstones came to be believed in, because there is no cure, you know, for rabies. I mean, there wasn't at that time. There was no cure. And so, um, you know, if you had a madstone, you at least had some hope until, you know, until things uh, took a bad turn.
0: And I obviously know what happens in the story, but how did you decide to use that as the title?
1: Well, it's just a cool title. And, you know, and it was a turning point in the book. It was an important point in the book. Um, and I felt it's a, it's a mysterious object, you know. And I, I don't know. I mean, I just, I just kind of, I just kind of liked that title and my, my editor, you know, really loved the title. You know, when I didn't, I didn't tell him what the book was for a long time. Cause I, I wasn't, you know, I just, I just wanted to keep it to myself. And, and so finally when I was finished and, you know, I said, I'm about to finish it and send it to you. Uh, the title is the, you know, the, the mad stone. And he said, Oh, I love this title. I said, well, there, that's two words we don't have to argue about then, <laughs> because you <laughs> and I do sometimes go back and forth about about other things in the in the manuscript. So I was glad at least to have the two down, two two good ones to start out with.
0: And two of the most important, if people haven't read the book yet, you know, like if you've got the Madstone, that's the title, so that's the first thing people see. So yes, that's awesome if you don't have to argue about it. Right, right. And the stunning cover. Do you just love it?
1: The cover, yes. So here's the thing. It was so interesting we went back and forth on many things about the cover and, you know, it needed to be made, you know, dangerous enough. And like something's happening, there's something on the rise and it's not just a sunny day. There's maybe a storm approaching and, you know, there there had to be some sense of an adventure rather than just, uh, you know, a pastoral image. So they gave it that with the very colorful sky and the, and the, what's those clouds are called mammatus clouds um, from mammary gland, because they, they, there's kind of, you know, they look like little breasts hanging out of the sky, basically. And, you know, we do see those in Texas sometimes. But they needed to have figures that that were uh, dressed appropriately for the 1860s. And you can't lift those out of any other image. You know, we needed a couple people. We needed the, the child and two people on horseback. I said, well, what if I just get some of my family and, you know, we have horses and, and we can <laughs> just put them in the right clothes and put them on the horses. And then you, you know, maybe y'all could use the images to lift those out. So to my surprise, they liked the idea. And, and, uh, and so we, you know, we did that. So that's my niece, Amy on the cover. And, and, and then Amy's uh, sister, Christine was taking the pictures and uh, her husband, Joe is on the other horse. And then the little, the little boy belongs to Amy and her husband, Thomas. And we just, you know, they just mounted up and we took a bunch of pictures of them riding around in circles in front of a blank barn. And then, you know, just like the side of a barn, so as blank of a background as we could get. And then um, they very skillfully at Little Brown, you know, lifted those images out of those pictures and planted them into, They, you know, they had to do a lot of things. They had to muddy up dot shirt and they had to, you know, with shading and different things, they, they, they made some changes to make it look like, you know, uh, like they were walking on this path of this scene that had already been created.
0: Okay, I love that, and they probably love that they are now starring on your cover.
1: Yes. Well, the little boy Trip is very pleased. He does think he's a star. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we made a big deal about it for, for Trip, and he's been he's been delighted.
0: I love that, and the font that the Madstone and your name are written in. I just think it's an absolutely stunning cover.
1: Oh, good. Yeah, I do too. I was really happy. And, you, you know, you don't, as a, as a writer, have a lot of control over that. Publishers will always ask what, how you feel about it. And then if you don't, if you don't agree with them, it's like, OK, thank you. Thank you for your opinion. But, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. this time, you know, this time they, they really, you know, let me sort of weigh in some. And I was I was very appreciative of that. They, you know, but I, I loved their their work, their cover.
0: Me too. Well, you're going to be receiving the 2023 Texas Writer Award this year at the Texas Book Festival. That is so exciting. It's given to a Texas writer in recognition of outstanding contributions to Texas literature. Congratulations!
1: It's a really nice award, and I love the Texas Book Festival. So, you know, I it, it mean, it's 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 really meaningful to me. I think I think I've been to every book festival since it started twenty something years ago, and um, you know, usually I'm either moderating or you know attending with a book, or quite often just hanging out, you know, and and um, visiting with friends, other writers who are there. Uh, Texas has a very, you know, cohesive writing group. We all like each other, you know. And then uh, there's just always a lot of other, you know, writers who come from all over who are interesting to listen to. So I've been every year. So it makes me feel really at home there and, and really proud of this award.
0: They give you some kind of special cowboy boots. Is that correct?
1: Yes. These are these are going to be custom made. Cowboy boots with the, you know, the seal of the, the the book festival and some decorative things on them. You know, they're all, it's all hand sewn and everything. I've never had, you know, custom made cowboy boots. So I'm, I'm pretty psyched about it really. You're
0: going to be wearing those everywhere. I think I probably
1: will be. It, it, it's a fun, you know, you don't want to seem like you're, you know, just bragging, but if you've got really cool boots, you know, you, you definitely want to wear them. So I've got. I'll, I'll have to. I'll have to weigh exactly where I feel okay, and like you know, like it's. It doesn't seem like I'm just you know walking around as as you know an advertisement to myself from the middle <laughs> festival.
0: So look at my boots and ask me why I have exactly, them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, wow, that is very exciting and huge. Congratulations!
1: Thank you, Cindy.
0: Well, before we wrap up, Elizabeth, what have you read recently that you really liked?
1: Oh, okay. So I have. I've gone back to finish a book that I. Had not finished because um, I had gotten sidetracked with with the ending of, of, of The Madstone, with writing the end of the Madstone. And uh, it is Steve Harrigan's Big Wonderful Thing. And it is the history of Texas. It's called Big Wonderful Thing. And it is, it's just beautifully written. And each segment, I mean, it is it's a it's a big fat book. And um, and each segment, you know, each each era that he covers is like a whole story in itself. And the characters, it's very character-driven. You meet all these, you know, characters from Texas history that you had never heard of and who had these enormous accomplishments and fascinating lives and who changed, you know, the state in one way or another. So it's very character-driven, you know, stories. And it just tells, you know, from the very beginning, as far back as he could research to, you know, present day or, yeah, almost present day. So I had been really engaged reading it is just, you know, little sections every every night before bed, because, um, you know, each one it, it reads like its own little piece of, of history. And then I, I I thought, OK, now I'm, you know, enormously focused now on finishing this book. And so I put it aside and I've just now taken it back up and find it just as engaging as, as I did before. So I'll, I will be able to finish it now.
0: I've heard wonderful things about his writing and I've never read him, but you're reminding me that I really need to.
1: He's a really great writer. I mean, he's been probably the, the biggest influence on my on my work. I mean, for for one thing, I mean, he's a very close friend of mine. We trade manuscripts back and forth as we're writing, and we wrote the screenplay for the Which Way Tree together. And so, you know, so so I I mean, I have I personally just think he's one of the greatest people ever. And he, but but objectively, I also think. He's pretty much, you know, one of the greatest writers. We've, well, absolutely, one of the greatest writers. Maybe the greatest writer we have currently in, in in
0: Texas. Well, that's quite an endorsement. Okay, I'm bumping him up my list, and I will start with the one that you're recommending.
1: Okay, yeah, that, I mean it's it's a it's a big history and it's nonfiction, but it is really really great. And um, there's another one if you liked this story uh, that's a takes place. It's a West Texas story called R- Remember Ben Clayton, uh, which is a wonderful wonderful story. His first book was a national bestseller. It was called The Gates of the Alamo.
0: Oh, that's right. I've seen that one before. I haven't read it, obviously, but I have seen it.
1: It's kind of become a
0: classic. Okay, good. Well, I may try to listen to this latest one, too, because that's kind of a good way, I think, to digest information like that sometimes. Yes, yes. Well, thank you so much, Elizabeth. I cannot wait for your book to be out in the world so I can tell everyone I know to read it. I actually had an event last night where I went and talked about reading recommendations. And I included yours because I was like, it's not out quite yet, but you really need to make sure you get this one. So I just can't wait for everybody to be able to read it.
1: Thank you, Cindy. That's great. I appreciate that.
0: Absolutely. And thanks for coming on my show. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast. I would love to connect with you on Instagram or Facebook, where you can find me at Thoughts From a Page. If you enjoy the show, please consider joining my Patreon group to access bonus content and support the podcast. If you have a moment to rate the show or subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts, I would really appreciate it. It makes a big difference. And please tell all of your friends about Thoughts From a Page. Word of mouth does wonders to help the show grow. The book discussed in this episode can be purchased at my bookshop storefront, and the link is in the show notes. I hope you'll tune in next time. Hi, I'm Emma.
1: And I'm Joe. And And we're we're the the Professional Professional Book Nerds. Nerds.
0: Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe.